Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. Today we are on episode 29. This is for the assignment of July 22nd through 28th. We are studying Acts 16 through 21. The Lord had called us for to preach the gospel. And we're going to be talking about Paul today. And I have been waiting like all come follow me year, I guess, for this moment because I love Paul. He has always been one of my personal scripture superheroes. So I'm really excited to talk about him today. I was actually thinking last night, you know, I'm here in the United States and we just had the 4th of July. I'm recording this on July 5th. And so last night I'm sitting there, I was at the Space and Rocket Center, you know, where I live in Huntsville is home to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, Space Camp, all those good places. But they did fireworks there at the Space and Rocket Center. So I'm sitting there at the Space and Rocket Center last night on July 4th watching the firework display and I was thinking man Paul was just like these fireworks, like everywhere he went, all over Asia and Europe, like he's just sending up fireworks everywhere he goes. And I'm watching these fire, this fireworks display, and I see these planes flying over the fireworks display because our airport is like really close to where the fireworks were. And I was like, I wonder what it was like for us who had not yet come to earth and, you know, we're up with our Heavenly Father looking down, watching Paul preach the gospel. And so I'm thinking about the people in the plane looking down and watching the fireworks kind of exploding like all over wherever they were flying over and I wonder if that's kind of what it was like for us you know looking down and watching Paul as he's preaching the gospel and planting these little seeds of the church and different places if it was like you know kind of a bird's eye view of watching this little firework display of gospel everywhere he went and I have to think that was probably a really cool experience okay so you guys know I'm always honest with you, 100%, probably sometimes a little too honest, but I will tell you that I struggled this week with this assignment, which was at first really disheartening because, again, Paul is one of my scriptural superheroes. Like, I love some Paul. And so going in and reading this this week, I really got really overwhelmed. You know, we studied Acts 16 through 21, and so that's a lot of chapters, and there's a lot of stuff in those chapters. And unlike later on when we get to, like, Pauline epistles, where we get, like, a lot of doctrine and stuff like that, we do have some doctrine, and we have some really powerful doctrine. I'm going to talk about that. But it's a lot of like Paul went here and then Paul went here and then this guy joined him up and then this guy joined up and then this guy went here and then Paul went here and then they traveled this way. And there's just a lot of like coming and going. And I was trying to keep it all straight. And I don't know, I just, the way my mind works, like I was just like really, really overwhelmed by all the information about like all these different places that Paul went. So much so that I was like, I'm a visual person. I have to figure this out. 
So, you guys know I love some Google Sheets, you know, like the Google Excel. So I went into Google Sheets and I created a sheet, I'm going to post this in my notes so you guys can see it, where it's every place that Paul went, the timeline, so you know, was it 49 AD, was it 58 AD, you know, all that stuff, where it's referenced there in the reading this week, and then a map so you can actually see like, you know, where this particular area was, and then some of my thoughts and comments and commentary stuff down below each one of these different spots. So, um, like I said, this week has just been really overwhelming to me. So I was trying to make sense of it. I put a lot of effort and research into this week's reading assignment just because I'm trying to wrap my head around it. So I hope you guys benefit from the amount of research and effort that I put into this. I hope, I hope it'll be good. And then I will just tell you too, it's just, this week has just been a struggle in my personal life. I'm frustrated with stuff at work. I'm frustrated with stuff like health wise, you know, I'm just, I'm just struggling. Like it's, it's just been a struggle guys. Like it's just been hard. And so I'm coming at this come follow me assignment. And I was like, I knew I needed to record today. And I was like, I just didn't want to record. I just didn't want to record. And I know when I have those feelings that a lot of times it means I need to record. And so I was like trying to find some inspiration. And, you know, I just started looking up Paul and then I put in like, you know, some of the cities that he had visited and to the general conference, you know, search there on churchofjesuschrist.org. And some of these conference talks came up and there was some really good stuff in there that really made me feel a whole lot better about things. And so I wanted to share some of that with you guys. So before we even get started with the rest of Come Follow Me, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. One of the conference talks referenced Ephesians 3 and and to me, that was really helpful because it's Paul talking about preaching the gospel. And again, and another thing I think that really impacted my study this week was that the entire Come Follow Me assignment was all about sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel, which is something I'm really bad at. Like, I will tell you <laughs> that missionary moments and stuff like that, not my forte. You know, again, I'm being real with y'all. Like, this just not my thing. And so I struggled with that, too, a little bit. And so I'm like, you know, Heavenly Father, how can I get out of this what I need to get out of it when I feel like I'm not good at this, when I'm struggling with this, and I go and I read these conference talks and one of them references Ephesians 3. And so this is Paul writing to the Ephesians and this is what he said and it gave me great hope. He says, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me, unto me, who am less than least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that gave me great, great hope and great encouragement because it's Paul. Paul saying that he's not good at this. And I was like, okay, if Paul felt like he was not good at this, I can do this. Like, I can do this, you know, with the grace of Christ and, you know, I have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Christ. I love that phrase as well. And I also realized at that point that I was worrying so much about the geography of everywhere that Paul went. I was worrying so much about the missionary work of Paul and, you know, everything that he was doing, the assignment for Come Follow Me. I have lost sight of Christ and what all of this is about. And all of this is about testifying of Christ. And yeah, I may not be a super awesome missionary, but I believe in my Savior and I can testify of him perfectly. 
And so, like Paul, unto me, whom less than least of all the saints, is this grace given. The grace of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope that will be with me as we record today. Um, another quote that kind of really stood out to me as I was searching through the, you know, the different conference talks that referenced Paul was this one. It's called Faith, Service, Consistency by David S. Baxter. And it's in the October 2006 General Conference. And if you go look it up, I definitely recommend that you actually listen to it because he He's from Scotland, and he's got a Scottish accent, and it's really fun to listen to. So I definitely recommend that you go listen to that. Anyway, so the quote that he said that really gave me heart and strength this week was he said, Discipleship does not guarantee freedom from the storms of life. Even as we are wending our way carefully and faithfully along the straight and narrow path, we encounter obstacle and challenge. There are days, perhaps even months and years, when life is just hard. We experience our fair share of adversity, of heartache, of loneliness, of pain and grief. Sometimes it seems more than our fair share. What to do when adversity strikes? There is only one thing to do. Stand steady and see it through. Stay steadfast, constant, and true. The real tragedy in the whirlwinds of life comes only when we allow them to blow us off our true course. And as I was reading that quote, I was like, yeah, it's talking to me, but also reminded me a lot of Paul as he was dealing with just some of the persecution he faced in our reading assignment this week. So it reminded me of Paul staying steady and seeing it through even when the whirlwinds of life come upon us. So um, those are just some of my thoughts before we even start Come Follow Me. Like (laughs) that was my opening for this week's assignment of Come Follow Me. So starting with Come Follow Me, going to the introduction first, before we even start, I love this quote that they have, and it says, Among the Lord's final words to his apostles was the commandment, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. While the apostles didn't quite make it to all nations, Acts 16-21 through 21 does show that Paul and his companions did make remarkable progress in establishing the church. And it's right, they didn't make it to all nations, but they made it to a lot of different places. And one of the tools that I found this week that was very helpful is the Scriptures Mapped tool from BYU. I don't know if you guys know about this. I posted about it on my Facebook page just briefly, but it is really cool. Um, You have like the Scriptures. They have, you know, wherever it is in the Scriptures, kind of like in a panel on the left side. And then and anywhere that there's like a place mentioned, it is highlighted with a hyperlink. And you click on that hyperlink and it brings up a map of the world on the right side and it shows you exactly where that place is. So, you know, if I'm reading about Ephesus, you know, I click on that and Ephesus comes up in the right panel screen and I can zoom in and zoom out and see where it is in relation to like Philippi or, you know, the different places that Paul went. And so that was a pretty cool little tool. I definitely recommend you using that if you're going to do Come Follow Me, like, you know, for Sunday school or with your kids. It's really cool kind of to see and track the journey that Paul made. So definitely check that out. Scriptures map tool. I'll put it on my Facebook page. I'll put it in my blog. Go look for it. Okay. Let's go ahead and start with the first section. The first section in Come Follow Me says, the spirit will guide me in my efforts to share the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, but some people are more prepared than others to receive it. And this is one reason we need the Holy Ghost when we share the gospel to guide us to those who are ready. As you read Acts 16 through 21, note instances in which the Spirit guided Paul and his companions. 
Okay, so again, we covered a lot of ground in Acts 16 through 21. We covered pretty much all of Paul's second missionary journey and then a little bit of his third missionary journey. And so Paul's second missionary journey lasted about three years and covered about 3,000 miles. So again, when I say that there's a lot going on in these chapters, there's a lot going on. It's three years compressed and 3,000 miles compressed down into a couple chapters, right? And it's actually a little bit more because we have the third missionary journey in there too. So it's even more than that. So it's a lot. But some of the instances that I noticed, you know, mostly in Acts 16 right away, where the Spirit guided Paul and his companions, was the first one, Acts 16, 6 through 10. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia... So pause there. So this is one instance where I saw the Holy Ghost working with Paul. He was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. I think he was probably ready to go and, you know, preach out into Asia, which is not our Asia that we normally think of. It was Turkey that he was in. And so he wanted to go kind of like northeast is kind of where he wanted to go, northeast up into like the landmass of Turkey and things like that. But instead, we see, as we read on, it says, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And so again, the Holy Ghost told them, no, don't go there. I saw that as another instance the Holy Ghost was working with them. And then they passed by Mysia and came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us out. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. And so the Spirit's telling him, Nope, don't go here. Nope, don't go here. But yes, go here. And Paul had a vision of Macedonia, and he knew he needed to go there, and so that's where they went. And so I saw the Spirit really directing their paths for good and kind of directing where the work needed to be. And so they get to Macedonia. They took kind of a roundabout way. They kind of went from Trust to Samothrakia to Neapolis to Philippi. And finally in Philippi, they found a place where they could share the gospel. And we have a record of that in Acts 16, 14 through 15, where we have the story of Lydia. I love Lydia. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come unto my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So, here in Philippi, Philippi was a very Roman city. It was a place where the armies of Mark Antony and Octavian had defeated Brutus and Cassius in a battle during the Second Roman Civil War in 42 BC. So, you know, just about 100 years ago, there was like this big Roman Civil War. And so this was a big spot where the Romans won. And so they established a lot of military might there. There was a big representation of the Roman Empire there. Um, Wikipedia even says it was a miniature Rome under the municipal law of Rome and governed by two military officers who were appointed directly from Rome. So this is probably the most Roman of the cities that Paul is going to be visiting. And that kind of you know, shows in some of his interactions there. In fact, there wasn't even a synagogue for the saints to worship in, so they actually go down to the river, and they're in, like, the banks of the river there, and that's where they meet Lydia. Lydia, whose heart the Lord had opened, that was another way I saw the Spirit working, is that it had prepared Lydia. Lydia was prepared to receive the gospel, and she becomes the first convert in Europe 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, woo woo, let's shout out for the girls. Like, the first convert in Europe is a woman. Yay, Lydia! So, uh, that was a pretty cool story. I love Lydia. And the seller of purple thing is really pretty cool, too. Um, you know, they had, like, these little shells that made the indigo dye. And it was really expensive. And that's kind of what she did. And Thyatira, the place where she was from, was actually known as, like, a big center for the purple dye industry, I guess. And so, uh, that's why they mentioned that as well. Like, she's a legit purple seller because she's from Thyatira. Her heart was opened. She listened to Paul. She was baptized, and her entire house was baptized as well, and she came and kind of took care of Paul and his companions there in Philippi. Okay, another cool conversion story that we see in Acts 16 is the story of the jailer. So, Paul has been walking around, and we read in 16, A certain damsel possessed of a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So, this girl's kind of telling the future, right? And the same followed Paul and us, cried out, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This happened also when Christ was on the earth, when he was doing his mortal ministry. You know, we had, again, evil spirits kind of testifying of him. And so Paul was grieved. He was not happy with this. He was kind of annoyed with it. Um, He doesn't need evil spirits testifying. That is not the right people who need to be testifying, right? So he casts out the evil spirit. The handlers of the girl who are making money off of, like, her talents, I say that with quotation marks, get really mad because they've lost their moneymaker, right? And so then... Then they go, they bring them unto the rulers, the magistrates there in the city. And they say in 20, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And you can see kind of like some of the Roman culture there in Philippi that we talked about because they were pointing out like these guys are Jews and Jews are bad. Like they were kind of all anti-Jew in this particular city, which is why there wasn't even a synagogue. It's why the Jews had to meet by the riverside, right? Being Jews, they exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. So there's kind of an elitism kind of thing going on there. The multitude rose up against them. The magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten and so they were beaten and then they were put into prison they were put into stocks so they weren't very comfortable but at midnight even though all the stuff has gone on they've been beaten they're in prison in a very uncomfortable situation they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and so I have to think in this particular situation because Paul could have at any time stood up and said hey yo I'm a Roman citizen like leave me alone and he could have proven it really easily he didn't and so I have to wonder is the spirit constraining him again to saying hey you got to go through all this because you're going to reach somebody really important like is that what what's going on here I have to think something like that was going down because Paul didn't oppose the being Jews comment or anything like that and he ended up in prison and they sang praises. And I love that they sang praises and the power of what they were doing there because then, you know, the jailer is converted unto Christ. The song is kind of what got his attention. So singing praises can also kind of be a missionary tool, or at least that's what I kind of learned from this story this week. So they're singing praises. There was a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaken. All the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors opened, drew out his sword and was going to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. And the reason he was going to kill himself is because if they lost a prisoner under Roman law, then whatever punishment that the prisoners were supposed to face, they would get. And all of his prisoners are gone. So 
it was going to be pretty bad for this jailer. And so he was getting ready to kill himself because he didn't want to go through all the torture that was supposed to be heaped upon these prisoners, right? And Paul cries with a loud voice in 28, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I love this because there's a double meaning here. What must I do to be saved from this Roman law that is about to, you know, heap torture upon me? And what can I do to be saved in the spiritual sense? And this is awesome in 31 because... Paul tells him what he needs to be do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Which is also cool to me, and it shows me that the Spirit is working with Paul. He already knows that his entire family, the hearts are opened, that they're going to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he kind of has an inkling that that's going to happen. And so that's showing me the Spirit is working with Paul even in this bad situation. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. So they went and had the missionary discussions, right? And he took them the same hour of night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all of his house straightway. The jailer takes him back to his house. They have the missionary discussions. Everyone's baptized still in the middle of the night. And it was, they took care of them. They healed them. They fed them, all this stuff. And everyone rejoiced believing in God. And so then it's daytime. The magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told this to Paul. And Paul was like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. They have beaten us openly. 37 uncondemned and being Romans have cast us into prison and now they do thrust us out privily nay verily but let them come themselves and fetch us out they wanted to be like basically recused from this publicly now the whole thing about Romans and Roman citizenship how could they have proved that they were Roman citizens like they can't just be like oh hey guys guess what we're Romans they might have carried around a copy it's called a professio or a registration of birth, it was very easy for them to carry around with them, and it had their Roman status on it. So they actually had papers that showed that they were Roman citizens, and that's what they pulled out at this point. All right, the next question from Come Follow Me, what blessings came because they followed the Spirit? Well, number one, they knew where they needed to go. Um, the timing was right for them to come and open up the church, basically, in Macedonia. They knew where to go. They found Lydia. They were able to convert Lydia and her household and the jailer and his family. You know, they would not have been able to convert any of those people if they had not followed the Spirit. Come Follow Me also asks, when have you felt the Spirit prompting you in your efforts to share the gospel? And again, because I am not a super awesome missionary... I didn't really have anything that I could, like, share, I thought, you know, any good experiences. So I relied on churchofjesuschrist.org to give me some good quotes. And Dallin H. Oaks, in his talk, Sharing the Restored Gospel, which Come Follow Me also mentions, says, We must pray for the Lord's help and direction so we can be instruments in his hands for one who is now ready, one he would have us help today. Then we must be alert to hear and heed the promptings of his spirit and how we proceed. And that's what Paul did. You know, he listened to where he needed to go. He was guided by the Lord. And then he found Lydia and the jailer. And they were able to be converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ because of that. So good on you, Paul. Good job. 
come follow me says, I can declare the gospel in all circumstances. So it talks a little bit about Paul's experience, Paul and Silas's experience there in prison converting the jailer. They were able to convert someone even in the middle of this awful prison and uncomfortable situation. We already kind of talked about that in Philippi. I kind of want to talk about all the different areas that Paul got to visit. So we're going to talk about Thessalonica in this particular section. Um, I will also tell you too, just a note on pronunciation. I tried to get the pronunciation of all these different places correct as I went along. Thessalonica, I'm not sure about because I've always heard it pronounced Thessalonica, but it was pronounced a little bit differently on the YouTube videos I watched about Thessalonica. So I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. Just stick with me, y'all. Okay. You guys are awesome. All right. So I can declare the gospel in all circumstances. So what are some circumstances that Paul went through in Thessalonica that might have made it difficult to preach the gospel? They're in Thessalonica in chapter 17, verse 2. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, went into them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And so there's a synagogue in Thessalonica, which also shows us immediately that this is a very different place from Philippi. Much less Roman influence to the point that the Jews were actually able to have a place of worship. So that's good. Um, Also, I will add, Thessalonica is about a three-day walk from Philippi, so it probably took him about three days to get there. And so Paul is there in the synagogue reasoning with them out of the scriptures because, again, the Jews are so scripturally focused. And so he's hoping, hey, I know my audience, and I've like had all this crazy training under Gamaliel because he was a Pharisee, right? And so I'm going to use that training that the Lord's given me to kind of reason with these people. And I love this particular instance because Paul is an amazing teacher. And one of the things that I see that's so amazing about him is that he tailors his message to his specific audience, right? And so here where he's in Thessalonica, where he's actually talking to the Jews, he's using his background as a Pharisee to kind of reason with them and using the scripture knowledge that he has, whereas he's going to do something totally different when we go to Athens, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But so anyway, so he's in there, he's using the scriptures to kind of preach Christ unto them, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, using the scriptures to prove Christ unto them. And in four, we read, some of them believed, and they hung out with Paul and Silas, some of the devout Greeks, so the Greek Jews believed, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Yay for the girls! Go ladies! I like that they get a mention there, all right? But the Jews which believe not, here comes the riot, right? I want to tell you guys about this. In verse 5, the Jews which believe not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Okay, so I don't know who Jason was, but poor Jason, he has a rough time of it here. You know, the lewd fellows of a baser sort. I love the way that they put that. Basically a bunch of thugs. They gathered some thugs together, and they went to Jason's house, and were like knocking on the door, trying to bring Paul and Silas out. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And if there are any other Hamilton fans out there, I hope that when you saw the phrase, turn the world upside down, you started saying, the world's turned upside down, right? Hamilton totally made me think of Hamilton. That's an aside. Here we go. Back into the scriptures. Seven, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So what's happening here? They bring Jason out. They said, hey, these people are preaching Jesus. They're turning the world upside down. 
That sounds a little overdramatic to me, but once you move from a place of not having Christ in your life to having Christ in your life, it does kind of turn your world upside down. So they may have been being overdramatic and maybe even a little sarcastic, but they didn't realize that they were actually speaking the truth when they said that. So they've got this, they've kind of started like this little riot here. Poor Jason has been brought in front of the rulers there. And it says when they've taken security of Jason. So he actually had to pay a bond, like a security deposit saying, I promise that we will not have any more issues. And I'm paying this money like to secure that we're not going to have any more issues. And he would get it back if there was peace maintained for a certain amount of time, which is why in 10 we read, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they didn't want Jason to lose his security deposit. So they, you know, got the heck out of Dodge, right? But Thessalonica, these guys, and I don't know what it was that they like got so wrapped up in, but these guys are going to follow him around for like several cities here and he's going to get kicked out of multiple cities. And again, it's one of those situations where I'm like, you know, if you don't believe, cool, that's fine. Don't believe. But why are you going around persecuting those who do? But Paul doesn't give up. And I think that's what's really important, right? And so they head out to Berea, and this seems to be a little bit more open-minded city. Maybe the Lord's prepared them a little bit more than Thessalonica. It says, They received the word, this is in 11, with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. And so I love this because they obviously are already engrossed in their scriptures, and then they hear Paul and Silas, and then they search their scriptures to confirm that what Paul and Silas are teaching is true. And that's a really good example to us, that when when we are searching for truth, where do we need to go? We need to go to our scriptures and follow the examples of those in Berea. And it says, therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Again, shout out to the women. Yes, girls. I love it. All right. But then the Jews of Thessalonica brah, 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 had knowledge of the word of God was preached from Paul at Berea. They came thither also and stirred up the people again. And so immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to see. Silas and Timotheus abode there still in Berea. But they sent Paul out. They're like, dude, you're just causing too much trouble. <laughs> like, just go. So poor Paul, I can't imagine what he must be feeling at this particular time. But going back to Come Follow Me, it says, why do you think he was so bold and fearless? And the only thing I can think of is that Paul had just given himself over to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he knew it was true. And he had faith in his Savior. And that's what made him able to share the gospel everywhere he went. And one of the things that I learned as I read the different chapters and things this week was actually from Acts 18. This is a little further on, and this is from Acts 18, 9. And the Lord is speaking to Paul in a vision, and he says, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And so that to me said, Hold not thy peace. Like, don't hold back. Go ahead and share your peace with others. And I even found when, you know, we go into Colossians a little bit later on, and I hope I'm not stealing too much away from my Colossians lesson, but I think this was really good advice that Paul had, and he'd learned from his experience. He says to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. And then when he's in Corinth to the Corinthians, he says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. 
What made this perspective possible? Well, Paul gives us a reason in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He says, For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I think, honest and truly, what made Paul so bold and fearless? It was his testimony of Jesus Christ. He believed it so thoroughly that he was able to preach it everywhere he went, even in the face of much opposition, right? And so what do I learn from Paul's example? is to teach Christ even in the face of opposition. And I think a lot of times for me specifically, the opposition comes not necessarily from the people I'm teaching. There's not rowdy mobs or anything like that. It comes from my own personal struggles of, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be weird. And that's something I struggle with. You know, social anxiety is real to me. And so it's a big weakness of mine and something I definitely struggle with. So this, to me, this week was very instructive to read about this, to have my testimony strengthened and know that when I bear my testimony, I will have the peace of Christ with me. So that was one of some of the things that I found this week in that particular section of Come Follow Me. But next, we get to talk about one of my favorite passages of scripture ever. The next section of Come Follow Me says, we are the offspring of God. We get to talk about Athens. In Athens, Paul found a people of diverse opinions and religious views. They were always seeking to hear some new thing. And what Paul had to offer was definitely new to them. They worshiped many gods, including one they called the unknown God. But they believed that the gods were powers of forces, not living, personable beings, and certainly not our Father. Read what Paul said to them to help them come to note God and note the characteristics of God that you find. Okay, so this is Paul's big famous Mars Hill speech, and I love this speech. It's one of my favorites. So here's a really good example again of how Paul preaches to his audience. Athens was a much more cultured, enlightened city than like some of the country backwater places that he's kind of been. Um, and so they had lots of different philosophers. You know, it has a big history of philosophy here in Athens. You have the Epicureans, you have the Stoics. If you want to know what they believed, you can go read, read that up. It's not super important to the story. But so he's out there and he's in the synagogues and he's just around town kind of preaching Christ, right? And they're saying, what will this babbler say? So they realize that he is not super cultured. He's not super educated, but he's still preaching Christ and they want to know what he's saying. So they, this is interesting because they've never heard this story before, right? And so they start listening to him. They took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know this new doctrine which thou speakest. So the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, is this outcropping of rock, and it's actually a big part of Greek mythology. It's where Ares was supposed to have been tried by the gods for the murder of Poseidon's son. So it, that's why it's called Mars Hill, because Ares is kind of, you know, like translated into Mars in Roman mythology, not directly there's a little bit of difference but basically for this purpose you know Mars Hill um, so he's at Mars Hill this is a council of like the elders they were really probably more symbolic than they were actually a ruling council so he's just got kind of an audience here and he's able to kind of stand here and preach in front of them and I like to think of this being Paul's version of a TED talk you know we have those TED talks where they're very concise and they're very practiced and they're very just fluid and that's kind of what this is from Paul so much so that people have said that they think maybe someone came in and like kind of wrote what he said there 
at Mars Hill and wrote it out and did some editing and kind of moved things around and made it him sound a little bit more educated than he actually was. But nevertheless, what we have in the New Testament is beautiful and it is amazing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay, so there's a couple things we need to know culturally before we jump into this, because I want to read the entire passage to you because it's just so beautiful. But the unknown God, let's talk about unknown God. First of all, Athens, we'll even see that Paul goes in, he talks like, hey, you guys are super religious, and he kind of like gives it to them as a compliment. But they were super religious in that they had a lot of different gods, and they didn't want any god to feel left out, so they had an unknown god. And Paul's going to address that. But there is actually a story that before Paul, 600 years before Paul came, that there was a terrible plague on the city. And there was a man named Epimedes, and he had an idea because this plague was just taking people out left and right. And so he let loose a flock of sheep in the city of Athens. And then wherever they lay down, he sacrificed the sheep to the nearest shrine or temple of whatever god it was. And then if the sheep lay down near no shrine or temple, they sacrificed the sheep to the unknown god. So the unknown unknown God has been here in Athens for a good couple hundred years, right? It's very much part of their culture, so he's addressing it because they would all be very familiar with this. Again, this is an example of him speaking to his audience. All right, another example we see is in verse 28, where Paul says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And so he's quoting two different Greek poets there. Um, Epimedes the Cretan, which it may have been the same Epimedes that like let loose the flock of sheep. I don't know, because it's from 600 BC, so it would have been around the same time. Interesting. And then Paul quotes Epimedes again in Titus 1.12, but then also Erratus, which is from 310 BC. He's also quoting there. Now, he didn't quote them because they were prophets or men of religion or anything like that. He's quoting them because he's using this familiar phrase that any of the people there, the educated people there who knew poetry, would be able to identify with that and say, okay, okay, pop culture reference, like, I get that, right? I can connect with that, and it kind of builds a bridge between their current knowledge and what Paul is trying to teach them. And he was the master of that, right? So I think that was another really cool way that he kind of reached out to them. He used the poetry of the culture at that time. Okay, so Paul's TED Talk there on Mars Hill. We talked a little bit about the culture that he incorporated into this. As I go through and read this, I want you to know that there are two spots where I change the actual wording in the King James Version to what the original Greek kind of better translation of what he said. And so if it sounds a little bit different in two spots, that's what's going on. Okay, like the superstitious thing, it talks about them being more religious and the thing that God winked at, you'll see. Here we go. Here we go. This is Acts 17, 22 on. You men of Athens... I perceive that in all things ye are most religious and careful in divine things. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made by hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by our art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Okay, so, end scene, right? <laughs> okay, so one of the things that I love too is he talks about like, okay, so I know you guys are like deep into mythology, like deep into mythology, guys. So he starts off kind of reaching them where they are. And this reminded me a lot. I had a friend in college who went on a mission to Eastern Germany. And this was after the Berlin Wall had come down. But, you know, they had years and years of being under communist rule. And because of that, they were in a little bit of a different headspace than the rest of the Western world. They had lots of atheism, things like that. And so he said before they even gave them discussions, they had what they called discussion zero. And discussion zero was to prep them for the discussions. It was to introduce the concept of God, a loving heavenly father to the people here in Eastern Germany, right? And so they had to do that and lay that groundwork before they could ever teach anything else about the church. And I see Paul doing something similar here. He's reaching out to his audience. You know, he talks a little bit about Christ at the phrase at the very end, but the rest of the time there's no mention of Christ. He's just trying to establish God with them. He's trying to set the stage for him to talk further about Christ. And this is the only time I really ever see him preach without like talking a whole lot about Christ. But I have to think he's doing it because he's trying to reach out and get their attention. Um, And talking to them about being offspring of God, you know, I mean, that was a big part of mythology. There were lots of demigods and things like that. And so, again, that would be a concept that they are familiar with. But him saying, but no, this isn't a story that you guys have heard or you've told over and over again. This is legit real. Like, there is a God up there in the heavens, and you are his offspring. And so he's trying to convince them of that, and that he's bigger than these temples that they've built, and the shrines and the idols that they've built. He's bigger than all of that, and he's trying to bring God to them. And I just I just really love it. There's lots of really good things that we can learn about God himself from the speech that Paul gave. Um, we can learn, and this is my little list for you for Come Follow Me, that God created the world, that he gives life to all things, that he governs all life, that if we are willing to seek God, we will find that he is not far from us ever, that we are God's offspring, that we are created in God's image, that God commands everyone to repent, and God will judge us, and God will raise all people from the dead. And those are the things that we learned there from Paul's Morris Hill TED Talk, right? And it wasn't super successful. He didn't have a super lot of conversions from it. In fact, when he talks about the resurrection of the dead, it says that some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So they thought he was just interesting, right? They didn't really convert or, you know, come after him. But maybe he planted some seeds that later on would help grow the gospel a little bit. But we see that in 34, certain men clave unto him and believed, and among which was Dionysus the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So there were people that believed, and there were people that he reached and were converted, right? But 
I think for the most of them, it was discussion zero. It was planting that seed in their heads of, hey, these aren't just gods with crazy stories that you guys have like made up and told and all stuff like that. Like there is a God with actual power, a God who actually loves you and cares about you. And he is there and he gives you breath and life and everything. And so I think he's just kind of planting that seed in their minds. Okay, back to come follow me. What does it mean to you to be an offspring of God? And how is being a child of God different from just being one of his creations? It means to me that I have a birthright, that I have the ability to grow to be like my father, that I have the potential to be like my father, and that he's got a path for me to grow into that. And I think that that is amazing. I also, something I've always thought, and this is gospel according to Lexi, it's not ever written down anywhere, but you know, you inherit certain characteristics from your family, right? Like you may have your dad's nose or your mom's eyes or mom's hair or whatever. I like to think that there are aspects of my personality that I inherited from my Heavenly Father, that maybe there's a certain sensitivity that I have that is, you know, from Him, or maybe there's my testimony of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's something that I inherited from Him. So I like to think that because I am an offspring of God spiritually, that there are spiritual inheritances that I got from Him when I was created. And so that's something that I really take to heart and I love as well. Um, And if I had just been one of his creations, I don't necessarily know that I would have that personal relationship with him that I have. And knowing that helps, you know, a lot of times it helps me put into perspective all the junk and all just the nastiness of this world and know that I am made for something more. I am made for something greater. And those around me are made for something more and made for something greater because we are all offspring of God. If you had stood beside Paul as he was testifying, what would you have told the ancient Greeks about Heavenly Father? Again, I think we are in discussion zero, so I don't know that I would have gone into all that. But I think I simply, as Paul did, would just bear testimony of his existence and of his love for them. And that's what Paul really did. You know, he is trying to establish a connection for them to understand the love that their Heavenly Father has for them. And if they can see themselves as offspring of God, then that's a whole different connection than they've ever experienced with any other sort of deity that they've ever worshipped. So I think that that was a pretty cool way that Paul went about doing that. And do you know of someone who could benefit from hearing your testimony? Not off the top of my head, but I'm going to try and be a better missionary and keep my testimony with me that I can share with others. Okay, so that covers all of the major Come Follow Me questions from like the main section. But I want to talk about Ephesus. So we are going to drop down into the ideas for family scripture study and family home evening. And down there, there's a section that says, What inspired people in these verses of Acts 19 through 13 through 20 to burn their books worth 50,000 pieces of silver? Okay, so I want to talk about Ephesus because that's where this happened. Ephesus was an incredibly, again, it's much like Athens where they were very religious, right? And Ephesus is the same thing, but Ephesus is kind of like almost kind of off to like a mysticism kind of religion standpoint. There's lots of magic and idol worship was going on there. Ephesus was huge. It housed about 250,000 people. Currently, only about 15% of Ephesus has been excavated, and you can find YouTube videos about this, but it's really a really cool place. I also want to mention it had the third largest library of the Roman Empire. Woo-woo for libraries, right? Okay, it was also the city famed for the nearby temple of Artemis, or Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So, it had a seven wonder of the ancient world there. That's pretty cool. 
So Ephesus, things that happen there. We find most of this take place in Acts 19. All right, so we already run into some things here that are a little bit interesting, that there's already a group there that believes in John the Baptist and has been baptized by John. But Paul comes and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus Christ. So they are baptized, you know, with the authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And so that's pretty cool, too. Um, okay, some things that we see that are a little bit different. He went into the synagogue like he did in several of the other cities. He spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And obviously the Jews were not having it and believed not. So then he went to the school of one Tyrannus. And so Paul was able to go and preach there to the Gentiles. One of the historians of the time says Paul held his meetings at the school of Tyrannus from 11 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. This was the time when most people rested from work, including Paul, who's probably supporting himself by tent making. These also may have been the off hours for the school of Tyrannus. So Tyrannus taught early in the morning and in the evenings, but the time from 11 to 4, most people like siesta, I guess it was the hottest part of the day when they were taking a break or resting, um, that's when Paul was able to teach. And it makes sense because that's when the people would have been able to take breaks to come listen to Paul here at the school. And so Paul's teaching there in the school and he's taught them for two years. That is hours and hours of gospel teaching that the people here in Ephesus had. And we see the fruits of that labor later on when he establishes the church and it becomes one of the seven churches there, you know, we have lots of different other little splinter churches that come from it. I mean, the gospel was, this was a huge bedrock of the early Christian church. And it's because he spent so much time there and was able to preach so thoroughly. But some of the weird cultural stuff, like we see here in 11, it said, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul in 12, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. This is the only place I know of that anything like this has happened in the Bible besides Christ's hem, which the woman with the issue of blood touched. Apparently it was a big part of their society, so I guess, you know, if people had faith and believed, maybe God helped it work this way. And then we have this next story, which is really interesting to me. And if you've ever read any Jewish folklore, to me, this kind of, I don't know, it just smacks of Jewish folklore. It just really does. But so you have seven sons of one named Seves. You have Seves sons, right? Seves, seven sons. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Um, he's a Jew and a chief of the priest. And they have this little business where they're exercising evil spirits, right? And so they're going around exercising evil spirits. They called over the evil spirits from 13, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And so they were trying to exercise the spirits by the Lord Jesus whom Paul preacheth, not whom they themselves believeth, not who they have authority by to cast out these evil spirits, but by whom Paul preacheth. And apparently they'd been a little bit successful in this, but they hit up this one evil spirit who says, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then it leaps on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded, <laughs> naked and afraid, right? Again, kind of just quirky. I don't know. I It's just a weird kind of story to include in here. I guess this was just a really weird place, right? And so all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, fear fell on them once they knew about the story and the name of Lord Jesus was magnified. And that's good. Spread the name of Lord Jesus and he was able to preach some more. Apparently this was had big impact, especially in like the occult and mystical community, because those who had been part of that used curious arts in 19, they brought their books 
sticks together and burned them before all men. So it was enough to convert those who had been practicing, I guess, like this weird mystical stuff to kind of take all their texts and everything, which that were really expensive at the time, and heap them together. And they had a big bonfire. And I personally am not usually for burning books. Please know that. Um, so this actually kind of hurts my heart to read. But I guess in this case, it was a big symbolism of where their hearts were at and where they wanted it to be at. And it says it was more than 50,000 pieces of silver. And the value of 50,000 pieces of silver today has been estimated to be anywhere from $1 million to $5 million. That is a lot of money that they gave up because they were willing to follow Christ. Okay, so then Ephesus kind of becomes in tumult. And we've got a situation where Paul's kind of causing almost a riot here. There was a big trade in Ephesus because it was the city of Diana, or Artemis. Um, And so there was a silversmith there, Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines for Diana. And it brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. So they were making a lot of money on these these shrines to Diana. He got together with his little workmen's guild and they got together and they were like, hey, we're losing money because so many of these people are being converted to Jesus Christ. They don't need our little statues anymore. So our craft is in danger to be set at naught. Also, the great temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. And so he's bringing Diana in, but I don't think he really cares about Diana. I think it's really much more he cares about his money. And the whole city was filled with confusion. So everything's in uproar. Paul wants to talk to the people. He wants to go to the big outdoor theater that they have there, and he wants to stand in the middle, and he wants to talk to them. And the disciples who are with him are like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It says in 31, and those which were his friends sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. People were crying back and forth one thing and some another, and the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they had come together. So Paul had set this up saying he was going to talk, and There was this huge riot in the stands, and his friends basically said, do not go out there. And so the assembly, like the people who were there in the crowd and the audience were like, what's going on? Why are we here? And the Jews actually took one of their leaders and like put him out in the middle. And Alexander, the leader, was going to say, hey, the Jews are not for this like Christian guy either. But then they just kind of overwhelmed him by shouting, you know, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they shouted this over and over again for two hours. And I want to read you something from the Enduring Word Bible commentary about this particular scene, which was really interesting. It says, This repeated chant must have sent a chill up the backs of the Christians, including Paul, who no doubt could hear it from outside the theater where he stood. The noise must have been deafening. The acoustics of the theater were excellent, even today, and at that time were even better because of the bronze and clay sounding vessels placed throughout the auditorium. For two hours they shouted, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Think of how this echoes to our own time, and see the strangeness of our world. People say today, in words and actions and time and their dollars spent, great is my sports team, great is my political party, great is the consumer economy, great is material wealth, great is getting drunk or getting high. And yet, if one says great is the Lord Jesus Christ, they are regarded by many as strange. For all the supposed greatness of Diana of the Ephesians, no one worships her today, at least not directly, and yet there are millions and millions today who live for and worship Jesus Christ. Idols and false gods all have expiration dates, but Jesus of Nazareth lives forever. And that's something to keep in mind, that 
you know, today I think of this, you know, Paul being there in that theater that's just in like this huge riot almost, right? And people are screaming left and right. It reminds me of my Facebook news feed. You know, people are screaming left and right about different political issues and different, you know, beliefs and dogmas and all these different things. In the middle of it, I just have to kind of stop and say, okay, there's craziness out there, but Jesus Christ lives forever right? The stuff that they're screaming about will go away. It's got an expiration date on it, but Jesus Christ lives forever. And to go along with that, you know, this is where the section in Come Follow Me that asks about what inspired the people in these verses to burn their books. And are there worldly possessions or activities we need to give up in order to receive heavenly blessings? What inspired the people was their love of Jesus Christ. And so it makes me look around and wonder, like, what am I loving more than Jesus Christ? Am I loving that Netflix series that I started watching? Am I loving, you know, my shopping habit? Because I do have a shopping habit. Let me tell you, I love some retail therapy? Is it the time I spend at work? Is it the time I spend on social media? Do I love that more than Jesus Christ? Is it the time I spend reading? Do I love that more than Jesus Christ? Like it really made me think, what are some things in my life that I am putting as an idol ahead of Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying you have to cut all that stuff out, but where is your priority at? Is it, you know, oh, I only have like five minutes to read my scriptures, but I can sit down and binge watch two hours of this like Netflix series, you know, where's my priority at? Is it paying my tithing or is it buying that new pair of shoes? You know, so that it really made me think about that as well. All right. I think that we are just about out of time. So I'm going to go ahead and end there. But there are so many really great resources for this week's episode that I recorded. I'm going to put them all in my blog. So you've got it there. It's thesaviorsaid.blogspot.com. Or I will also be posting them to my Facebook page and I'll also post whatever I can onto Instagram. But again, links don't work so hot on Instagram. So you'll have to probably find it on one of the other two resources, Facebook or my blog. But there's like my little chart that I made with all the different places that he visited and what happened in those different places. There's YouTube videos. I put all the sources I use, the timeline that I use so you could find out when Paul was in the different places. And the BYU scripture mapping thing is there too. It's all really cool stuff. So... I hope you guys will go check it out because there's really amazing tools to learn about Paul this week. Love you guys. Hope you have an awesome week and I will see you guys here next week. Bye y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.